Hello and welcome to the 59th episode of The Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them about their start industry, what the influences are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developer themselves, and in the second half we discuss the game they're here to promote, which in this case is Windward by Tasharan Entertainment. Mm-hmm. Michael, who are you? And what do you do? Well, I'm the guy who created Windward. And uh, I'm actually the developer of the game. And uh, I did pretty much everything in it except for art and music. Wow. Everything else is mine. Everything else is yours. That, that is impressive. So is it a team of three-ish? Or is it you? you... It's just me. Is this I you? I contracted uh, the art. Oh, right. Okay. Same with music. Okay, so how did you make your start? Is this your first title, or I don't think it is. But uh, how did when did when did you first start making um, flashy lighty video games? <laughs> Originally, I started making video games yeah. uh, back in high school. Awesome! Uh, I love time... the story. Yeah, <laughs> I, I had some of the best developers on this show to say, "Yeah, I started when I was a fetus." So tell us, <laughs> what, what, what is this? Uh, well, not yeah. quite that early. No. <laughs> 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 my dad actually tried teaching me C++ back when I was seven years old. Somehow they didn't take. I bet, yeah, that's, there's some abstract aspects of C++ that you and I know about that no seven-year-old, unless there's some weird, not weird, sorry, gifted individual, um, then yeah. <laughs> I, that, basic, maybe, I can understand. But this, yeah. this, this, at seven, you're barely figuring out English, which is a horrible language as it is. Actually, back then it was Russian. I was oh. figuring out Russian. <laughs> Christ. But yeah, okay. obviously that didn't take. And uh, I, at that point, I just always felt that programming was uh, very difficult and just mm-hmm. not for me. Right. And I think it was around 15 years old when I just got back into it. And it was with Visual Basic. I just started thinking around. And Visual Basic was just so much more straightforward, so much easier to learn for a new person. Yeah, because it's English. Well, no, it's... It has a- <laughs> has it's, a language that is has logic to it. Oh, no, yeah. that doesn't make sense either. Well, it, you know it's, what I mean. It's just a lot easier in general. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And from there on, you went to like uh, C++ as well. Just I taught that uh, C++ myself. Uh, because after learning one language, another one becomes a lot easier. Uh, from there, I developed my own game engine and Ooh. found Unity eventually. And oh. pretty much I've been with Unity since. So you were there from the early, because that's been, I mean, I remember when it first started appearing, everyone was talking about it, this this, this single point engine that people were being drawn to. Mm-hmm. So um, what, 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 what appeals you, what, what do you find most appealing about it? I mean, I've heard a lot of developers talking about it, but specifically, what's the thing that you think makes it so, such a wonderful tool? It's just well laid out in general, easy to learn. It's right. extremely powerful when you want to do something. But I think the most important thing about Unity comes from the fact that it is in C Sharp, not C++. And uh, it's a lot easier to work with uh, C Sharp as a language. Right. Of course, and the editor a, itself helps a lot. It's a Microsoft-based thing, isn't it? C Sharp, or am I going crazy? Isn't it linked to Microsoft? Originally, yeah. yeah. But uh, Unity uses Mono for other platforms like right. Mac and Linux. Yeah, yeah. Okay, because so I've been reading up about this, I realised that you know most people use you know started off using C plus plus as you did, and then you found yourself drifting 
to Unity and therefore having to use C Sharp, which is actually easier. So mm-hmm. that's, that's great. Okay, so what were these games you were making then? Could you tell us? Back then? Yeah. I think my first game was a text adventure. Text like adventure. One game, yeah. You know, your typical old school game. You enter a room, you oh, get a yeah. description of the room. You oh, yeah. do something. I made uh, one of those. One, one of the earliest Sorry? games I played as a, as a kid of that age. I'm exceptionally old. So this is the 80s. And mm. I played a game called The Hobbit, which was The Hobbit as a text adventure game. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, that was, that was uh, an eye opener. It's like, okay, what do you want to do now? I don't know. Punch Gandalf. Because <laughs> 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 it's the sort of thing you do when you're a teenager. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you've just been, is that what you've been doing with your, your adult life? Is just making games? Or did you go well, into regular, like, did you go to college and stuff like that? What, what? Oh, yeah. I went to the college, of course. Uh, actually, back in high school is also when I created my first multiplayer game. Ooh. It was, uh, uh, have you ever heard of a game called Subspace? Subspace. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie to you, no, but if you, the more you talk, you probably will go, oh, that one. But yeah, no, I don't remember it. Sorry. It was actually a fairly popular game back in the day, and I really liked it. So I just decided to create something similar to it just uh, to see if I could do it. And I ended up doing it in high school. Also in Visual Basic. It was not particularly fast, but it was a multiplayer game. Right. And it was done by high school students. So my teacher back in high school actually had the entire class spend an entire uh, like 45 minutes or however long the classes were just playing the game for inspiration purposes. <laughs> wow. What grade did you get for that? I, I, I did think, but yeah. That's, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I got an A for that. You got an A for that one. I just Maybe, maybe you just got an A for that. That's impressive. Um, wow. Okay. And like you said, you, you, and throughout your career, you've you been carrying on making games? or you... Well, I went to college, then I was uh, pretty much a regular software developer for the first two years, I would say. Right. Year and a half, two years, I guess. And after that, I kind of started deviating toward game development again, of course, because yeah. that's what I wanted to do uh, as a developer, just right. game development. Uh, but... Yeah, I wouldn't say there's anything particularly interesting about my career. I mean, I worked in <laughs> companies like uh, uh, Gameloft, for example. Oh, right. Okay. And I actually worked at Unity Technologies as well for a year when I was helping them out with the uh, UI solution. Right. But I don't know. Like, there's nothing really particularly interesting about no, my I career. Just... I actually left Gameloft a while back. Right. Uh, just to start my own company because I was kind of fed up with the corporate culture, I would say. Yeah, I can imagine. I can, that, that happens a lot. A lot of, I talk to a lot of developers, indie developers on this show, and they say, oh, yeah, I used to be in this massive corporate environment with three or four hundred member team working on a, you know, the, the hair follicles of a, of a dwarf or something. And uh, that, was, that was great, I guess, but I just couldn't do it anymore, you know. And mm-hmm. um, I, I, it's, uh, it's certainly something that. Uh, Happens a lot. People want to break out and do their own thing, and certainly you have done that with Winwood. Actually, before that, yeah, before that was Angui. Oh, I don't know if you ever heard right. of that. It's a user interface solution for Unity, and that was right. actually a, I, well back then when I yeah. left GameLoft, there was yeah. no solid user interface solution for Unity at all. Oh so right, UI was something that Unity engine was missing. Yes, I bet it was. Yeah. So when I started working on Winward, I realized that I needed a UI system. So I created that UI system, and it became very, very uh, successful. 
and that derailed my uh, uh, well focus, I would say. Almost middleware for middleware, which is impressive. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, like I said, it was so successful that I pretty much had to put Winward on hold for a bit and right. focus on that instead. Okay. Last year is when uh, Unity finally released their built-in UI system, which is actually quite nice as well. Right. Okay. That uh, allowed me to transition back to game development. Right. And that's the primary reason why I restarted Windward and why it's uh, there on Steam now. Okay. So, so my next question uh, is really about your creative juices. Where do you get your... Where, where, what, what's the thing that really brings ideas into your head as regards to your influences? Really playing games, pretty much. Playing, playing other games. That's basically yep. it. You're influenced by other games. Okay. Anything specifically, like particular genre, or just like you're, you're really branching out and you're not particularly fussed? I like games that uh, offer a lot of possibilities to the player. So, like sandbox games. Okay. One of my most favorite games is actually Kerbal Space Program, for example. Oh, yes. That, that game's crazy. It's fantastic. Uh, it is. It, 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 when you describe it to people, you go, this sounds horrific. No, no. Work of genius. <laughs> You just need to really is, yeah. you need to go with it. But why is it so hard? Because it is. That's part of the appeal. Throwing <laughs> <laughs> people into space is not an easy thing to do. Like, of course. It's uh, and uh, you know, I just love the fact It's you... rocket science, man. It, it is actually rocket science. Yep. <laughs> it's actually rockets. It's not you know, you've got a planet trajectory and everything in your launch window. If you get it wrong but it's so hard. Oh, for the pity's sake. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you're right. I mean, one of my favorite, favoritest games of all time um, is Elite, which is the grandfather of sandbox games. Have you heard of that? I'm not sure. I never played the original one. I played oh. Elite Dangerous that okay. came out in December last year. Yeah. What do you think of that? It can use some improvements, to be honest. Like, the universe itself is excellent. It's huge. But yes. There's really no difference between one star and the next. No, you go no, from one star to another, and yeah. it's the same thing. It's yeah. The same space station gets reused. Yeah. You know, it's the same everything. You travel from one location to the next, and again, it's all the same. Okay, you get different uh, uh, cargo, but so what? You get different. One of it is yours. Yeah. You know. You get, you get different configurations of space stations. You get different. Uh, slightly uh, different. Yes. Slightly different configurations. Different bases, but. The problem with any space game is going to suffer from that. <laughs> oh, look, it's a planet. It's the same the one. Main, yeah. The main thing about it is players really can't influence uh, the game to the point where they feel that it is theirs. You know, no, no. you can never feel that this uh, this is my home uh, star. Like This is my planet. I f- feel attached to this planet. Yeah. You know, I feel attached to the space station. It just doesn't happen. No, that the kind of personality is missing, and you do get if, that if from your there, ship, though your ship does feel like your. Do you, does it really? Because well, I mean, I just kept upgrading it. And, yeah, well, you're modifying it to your own tastes. But oh well, I see your point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I do. And, no, I do. I mean, I do. I did really, really. I do really enjoy that game. Although I got distracted by Pillars of Eternity. Recently. I yeah, but, I liked it. I played it for several weeks. Yeah. But uh, what uh, made me stop playing it is the endless grind. <clears throat> uh, just the best way to make money in Elite Dangerous was to uh, basically be a trader, carry goods from point A to point B. Yeah, yeah, it's always been a way. over and yeah. over and over and over. Yeah. And it's just not fun. 
Yeah. Yeah, the point in the grinding games is yeah, you've got to be really, really, really careful. Uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, people just don't have time, you know. So I, myself, prefer to be an explorer. Okay. Unfortunately, yeah, me too. exploration me too. does not award anything worthwhile in that game. And that there's, was kind of... Yeah, there's token things. Like, oh, you can, you can do cartography and do mapping. Like, and you do that for a little bit, and then you get a bit, yeah, jaded. I see your point. I see your point. So, who do you most admire as a developer in, in the industry? Who's the, who's well, that's the easy. Yeah? Sid Meier. Sid Meier, of, of course. course. <laughs> considering, considering what you've made here uh, with Winwood, yeah, it's definitely Sid Meier. What, well, what was, what was the, is that the first game you encountered of his? No, it was not the first. Civilization was the first. It was his first. I spent more time playing Civilization games than any other game. Yeah. I would say. I literally have like thousands of hours in Civilization types of games. Yeah, I try to avoid them, not because I don't like them, because I know what will happen. (laughs) (laughs) I'll stop eating, you know. I I remember sitting down playing Colonization for the first time, going, oh, let's give this a go. It's going to be a few hours. 4 a.m. I started at about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I never forget it. I just couldn't stop playing it. I could not stop playing this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was on my Amiga way back in the day. And it's like, oh, God, I just can't stop playing this game. It's amazing. It was but, awesome, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's a very, very, very talented fellow. Um, so, yeah, it makes perfect sense. Sid Meier, yay, perfect answer. So... We've kind of answered this question a little bit. Maybe you haven't, but uh, the last question in the first half, I know, sad, but uh, it's, uh, it's really, what are you playing right now? What other games are you playing? Right now, the only thing I'm playing is Windward. I'm playing it with my players. Oh, really? So you're, you're not playing anything else at all? <laughs> right now, I don't have time for anything else. I barely have time to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, because that's that's uh, that's the second time a developer has said that to me. Like, I mean, no, I could only only have full time to do this. I'm, I'm completely, I'm completely <laughs> absorbed with this experience right now, mm-hmm. and that's cool. That's cool. I appreciate that, and uh, it just shows how much support you're giving to Windward. Um, okay, well, in that case, then we may as well just move on to the second half of the show, where we do indeed talk about Windward. is a co-op game where you basically control a ship and you sail a procedural world full of uh, pirates for you to destroy. There's towns for you to capture, do quests for, trading, stuff like that. So it's basically an adventure game in a sandbox world that you can play with your friends. Excellent. And when is it set? Could you give us an approximate sort of 
well, Age of Sail. Age of Sail. But there are some fantasy elements in it. They're minor, but they're there. Okay. And there are different factions, but it's not... Oh, yes. Talk a bit, a bit about that, please. I mean, there's... I know it's a secret faction, but not all better. But yeah. well, I wouldn't say secret because yeah. the secrets are. But yeah, there there are a total of seven factions in the game right now. You got your pirates, then you got your four playable factions that players can start with. Right. Uh, they all have different perks. Like for example, <clears throat> Valiant, the red faction. They are um, they get more experience from combat, and they're just in general more combat oriented. Their ships are tougher. They do more damage. So they're better at combat, but they suffer when it comes to diplomacy and negotiation. Okay. And you got your uh, trading faction, Exchange, for example, the yellow ones. Uh, they focus on uh, trading. They get more experience from trading. They get more gold to start with. Uh, they're better at negotiation, you know, stuff like that. They're different factions, they have different bonuses. One of them is an explorer faction where you get uh, uh, experience bonuses just for discovering towns. Or just uh, salvaging shipwrecks, uh, discovering items. Uh, and the last one is just a balanced faction. That one uh, gets experience from quests. Uh, and overall, their stats are pretty balanced. They're not uh, strong or uh, uh, they don't have necessarily any advantages or disadvantages in that regard. Yeah. Then there's uh, several, uh, the two other factions uh, that are unlockable as the players actually progress through the game. Yeah. Yeah. One of them is a criminal organization of sorts. They kind of break the rules. The certain factions, they follow the rules. There are certain rules like, for example, in order to capture a region, you need to have another region near the one that you're trying to capture. That uh, syndicate faction, that's their name, they don't follow such rules. They can capture things anywhere without uh, caring whether they're supposed to do it or not, for example. And they break a couple of other rules the same way. Okay. Then the very last faction is the faction for high-level players. Right. They also get the same perks as Syndicate, but they also get uh, other perks, like the ability to summon uh, powerful allies to help you, or just okay. give rewards to other players. So right. they're more geared toward uh, players who are playing it um, on uh, like online servers, just with other players, and they want to be sort of like a dungeon master. Oh. Know, they, they spawn a bunch of uh, pirates, take control of them, uh, create an interesting experience for the players, and then they are, give those players a reward. Okay. So this is an attachment to the first question still, but could you expand a bit about how the multiplayer works? You've mentioned it several times already, but could you expand mm -hmm. a little bit more about really how that works? Is it, you said it's not adversarial, it's more cooperative. Well, it's really up to how you want to play it. If you want to play it uh, on a server that is all PvP-based, you can do that. Right. But generally, majority of the people, they try to go with uh, just a co-op server. Right. And it doesn't mean that you're not going to have any PvP there. The primary server that's up right now, for example, uh, often sees PvP, but it's elective PvP. Basically, someone enters a region and says, hey, I want to contest the region. Let's start PvP here. And everybody else who's in the same region gets to vote whether to go with it or to uh, decline. Right. Of course, there's also an item in the game that uh, makes you immune to PvP. It's called a white flag. If you just put it on your uh, mast, you're not going to be participating and you're not going to be able to uh, take damage from other players. Okay. Cool. So rather than skull and crossbones, you... Mm -hmm. yeah, the multiplayer play. itself it's yeah. straightforward you have your player character which is just yours 
yes. Terraria style. You could bring it into any uh, online server unless that server disallows uh, player characters. But it's just like Terraria. Take a character, join a server, play there. Everything you earn on that server, you keep. So if you want to join your friend's game, you know, uh, pass some time there, a couple of hours, get a bunch of interesting loot, and then go back to your world, you can do that. It's not a problem. Okay. So my first proper design question now. Hey, here we go. Brace yourself. Um, it's something I wanted to ask you. First of all, you, so you control a single ship. Just a mm-hmm. single ship. It's not a fleet, everyone. I know. It's, it's, a, it's a single ship. And you have, I believe, what I describe, you may balk at this, but what I describe as like an MMO-like interface. Now, bear with me. Um, <laughs> basically, the, the actions have a cooldown on them, which makes sense because it's the age of sale. But can I ask you how that evolved? Was it always like that? <clears throat> yeah, from the start. I mean, there's two main inspirations for Windward. Okay. One is Submire's Pirates, which is obvious, and the other one is World of Warcraft, which you can uh, see just by uh, looking at the abilities and the talent trees, so just how it all works. Yeah, I just I was I was just amazed by that. Well, hang on, this reminds me of two things because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I you know I still actually play well, not 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 as much as I used to. Uh, I don't raid or anything like that anymore, but um, it's still it's odd odd game now. It's become a very strange game. Not in a bad way, but just an odd game. And mm. uh, and definitely can see that influence. But, but why did you do that? Why? I, I think uh, I know why, but why, why why did you do it? Main reason, I just wanted to have a game to play in a LAN party. And I figured, well, what would work well in a LAN party? Some kind of a game that mixes elements of adventure and uh, at the same time adds progression to it. With abilities to use, you know, skill-based combat... Okay. Stuff like that. Cool. Yeah, it, it, it's it's um it's a lovely feedback, sort of very responsive, very snappy game from what it is, you know, and what you think an age of sale like experience would be. Like, oh, this would be quite slow and ponderous. No, it really. <laughs> You've made it very quick. Just... I, yeah, I didn't want to make it realistic necessarily. <clears throat> I wanted to make it believable, but not necessarily realistic. Because quite frankly, if you put realism in a game, it doesn't make it uh, for a fun game. Well, there's Kerbal Space Program. Yeah. But (laughs) Kerbal Space Program is not realistic either. The mass of uh, Kerbin is like one-eighth or whatever it was of the mass of Earth. Yes, that's right. Even even then, it's still hard. Um, (laughs) I want to go back onto the single ship control. Could you talk mm-hmm. us through that? So it is basically point and go, isn't it? Or It's up to you. If you want to play it with a mouse, yeah. uh, you just press and hold the left mouse button where you want to go. Yeah. Or the right mouse button, it'll turn you, but it will yeah. stop you as well. So like dropping anchor. Same thing can be done by using a keyboard, WASD, and spacebar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Think of it as driving a car, basically, in GTA. Same yeah. kind of a thing. Also, if you have a controller, you can use a controller. Yeah, uh, I'm a big fan of those. I know, I'll never forget, I um, was way, way back. I was playing an FPS. I think it was, I can't remember. It might have been uh, Far Cry. Well, it probably was. And I was, I was just basically shooting, and I heard this vibrating sound. I thought, what's, this? what's vibrating? What's, what's going mm-hmm. on? You know when you hear a vibrating sound, it's going to be bad. And like, oh, God, it's my 360 controller, which I plugged into. Then my machine, like, 
Oh, that's a good idea. I should use that. <laughs> so I abandoned mouse and keyboard, much to the horror of many of my uh, PC gaming friends. But like, no, this is easier. Um, so I want to ask about the NPCs because you only control one ship. We've already established that. So well, you can actually have followers if you like, but uh, your primary ship, your character is just one. Yeah, just one. So again. Um, why was that model adopted? Why didn't you want to create? I know why, but I want you to want you to tell me. Um, uh, why, why have you got this system where you? Yes, you have allies and you have people who can you can order around to do things, but you can't directly control them. I wanted the game to be an RPG, basically, because right. that's what started a role playing game. It's just instead of uh, like a human or an elf or an orc, you have your ship. Well, that's how it is. That's why you can only control one. Right, so everything else is like, you know, a pet. <laughs> Basically, yeah. There is a feature in Windward where you can actually go into observer mode and watch other people, and then you can actually possess AI characters, and you can okay. control them. Right. But you it's can't... actually a lot of fun. Yeah, but you can't control a fleet. Just want to make it absolutely clear, everyone. Nope. You know, if you want to do that, go and play an RTS or something. Because a lot of this stuff, when I first saw a video of it and screenshots, I thought, you know, that reminds you of... Um, uh, Warcraft 2 when I was playing you know we had ships and stuff and you could actually have naval battles in mm-hmm. Warcraft a lot of it kind of reminded me of that and then when I actually got to play it like actually no it's nothing like this but <laughs> because you can only control one ship which is like I said it's it's an RPG that happens to be a, a you know an ocean going vessel not an orc running along the road mm-hmm. so I want to talk about the combat now delve into that now there's a need for to fire broadsides which is like you know in keeping with this sort of kind of vessel and mm-hmm. we've already touched on this before but how much of wind modeling is involved in windward is there much or is it just kind of like it's okay the wind is going to be there you're going to move well you can sail into the wind normally a ship uh, cannot sail into the wind that's right uh, but in Windward you can. Main reason is game mechanics. I actually tried it realistically, and it was just difficult to put it mildly. Yes, you could do tacking and uh, move around, but That's what I was it, thinking. it's just not. It was not nearly as uh, interesting uh, in, as yeah. a game. Yeah. You know, to 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 do tacking whilst trying to do a broadside. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. You just drift off into. I mean, there's also tides and all so, things, can you? You could, you know, there's like tides is actually an interesting suggestion that uh, some players uh, gave me a couple of days ago, saying that uh, it would be interesting if there were uh, like low tide and high tide, and when there's a high tide, it opens up some extra passages. I thought it was an interesting thought. Yeah. Haven't actually done it yet, though. No, but, but yeah, wind actually does affect uh, quite a few things. It makes you sail faster when you're sailing uh, when your sails are aligned properly with the wind. Right, it's like up to hundred and sixty percent faster. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that. you got that. Uh, it also affects uh, uh, your projectiles. So when you're firing uh, your cannonballs into the wind. They're not going to travel as far as if you were firing them along with the wind. Okay. And there were a couple of other things that the wind affected, but uh, I don't remember what they were. They were minor, though, so nothing so, that important. I mean, on those weapons, they're not like what they had. This isn't a historical game, everyone. Let's make it absolutely mm-hmm. clear. It's set in an alternate 
place. So you have... Um, <coughs> could you tell us the different types of weapons you get? Well, you start off with just the volley. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just basically a powerful broadside attack. By default, your ship... Uh, your ship's crew will automatically fire at anything they can see. Ah. So if there's an enemy uh, to your uh, port or starboard, they will fire at that enemy. You can use volley to initiate a powerful uh, attack on a cooldown timer that does quite a bit of damage. Mm -hmm. Later on, you get chain shot to shred enemy sails. That actually uh, makes enemies uh, turn a lot slower, and it makes it go slower as well for a little bit. So it's like a debuff. Yeah. So that makes it a lot easier to stay behind them, for example, where they cannot fire at you to defeat them. It's very useful for larger, tougher mo- uh, boss mo- monsters, basically. So uh, later on, uh, of course, there's a giant talent tree where you can unlock new abilities, like uh, the ability to drop... Uh, AOE fire effect, for example, so area of effect fire. So everything inside this area will get burned and take quite a bit of damage okay. unless they get out of the area. Right. Then you got your uh, poison, which basically makes everything inside a lot squishier, so you'll be doing a lot more damage. Right. And it also interferes with the ship's movement while they're in that poisonous cloud. Then there are support abilities, like uh, you can actually drop a fog cloud on yourself in order to take yourself out of combat and be able to repair. Or you can actually use the same ability on enemy ships in order to take them out of combat for a time. So crowd control, essentially. Later on, you will uh, discover uh, a water barrel, which essentially gives you the ability to put out fires, basically a heal. And, uh, of course, as players adventure further in the game, they get specialization in their talents so they can further improve those abilities, like, uh, for example, to become a better healer. So there's a very uh, RPG-centric progression system in Windward that players in multiplayer in particular tend to enjoy quite a bit because they essentially fall into the three class roles, tank, DPS, or healer, and uh, they tackle uh, difficult dungeons together as a group. So I think everyone's now guessing or figuring this out. It's, the, the structure of it is very familiar, but the theme isn't. And that's mm-hmm. great because we need more of that. Because there's not a lot of games that have this of uh, sale. I mean, of course, there's uh, Assassin's Creed last year. Is it last year or year before? Um, year before, I think. Yeah, year before now, which was really, really, um, really successful. People really liked that, uh, that whole... Uh, that people played that more than the actual game itself or doing the actual because it was actually quite entertaining doing broadsides against these other ships it was different that's what I liked about it yeah the whole Assassin's Creed franchise it, it kind of grew stale for me personally yeah but, I, I uh, mean, yeah I like two but I, just, you know, I couldn't get into the uh, whatever this is yeah. didn't really carry on. They just like, they really are flogging that horse. But oh well, they keep on rebooting it and reinventing it. So yeah, we shall see. So my last question then is really um, about how what the player has to do, how you feed information to the player so they're not they don't become overwhelmed. Uh, I don't think it's ever happened to me, but I want to know how you manage to do that. How you manage to balance the information loop to the player versus the progression of the game because 
you know, as you say, it is a, is a, I think it's a relatively gentle climb up to um, in improving oneself. How did you go about designing that apart from just playtesting the course? Basically, what I'm saying is that you know, the players occupied with balancing various tasks, yet they've become overwhelmed. How did you manage to do that? Well, the key is not to give the player everything right away. Mm-hmm. It's to have them unlock it gradually. Like, like I mentioned earlier, a player starts with Volley, for example, which is just yeah. one ability. And they don't even unlock other abilities until they get a couple of talent points. Yeah, It's the same with itemization. You know, you start with just uh, your basic set of items, then you get better ones. Uh, you know, you, they become more powerful, but they may not necessarily be specialized in the way that you want. Mm-hmm. It's only later on that you start getting items that are more specialized. So, right. for example, if you wanted to go uh, do more damage as a, you know, go DPS route, you would uh, look for certain types of items, not just better items, but certain types of items. Right. And, and that's something that uh, early on players don't have to worry about. It's only later on that when they learn uh, all the basics of the game that uh, they get introduced to stuff like that. Yeah, and that, that's that's the magic of this game, or how it's been structured. It, it again, it mirrors design of other titles, and you know, it, if it works, why 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 fix it, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But like I said, you, you've you've created this other title, this other experience, which I just want to finally sort of sign off with. The presentation is exceptional. I mean, the whole animation of the of the sails and the the sense that it really are. You really are powering along in these between these islands and discovering new lands and stuff. It's just, it really is. You really definitely focused on um, the visual um, on audio feedback. Was that always something that you placed a high priority onto the onto the game? Yes, I'm a very visual person. If I, if I cannot see a visual improvement mm. uh, every week, basically, then I get bored. <laughs> <laughs> Hence your, co- your comment about Elite Dangerous. It's like, well, there's nothing really new here. I've seen another star and another space station. But it looks exactly the same as yep. what I was in an hour ago. In Elite Dangerous, I really wanted to get uh, a certain ship, but I did some math, and it would take me roughly three weeks of doing trade runs eight hours a day just in order to be able to buy it. And that's uh, that's the point when I just called it quits. Yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> We're done here. Uh, sorry to bring that back, but I just wanted to explain to the audience how extraordinarily beautiful this game is. Very blue and bright and green and very pleasing to the eye. It's it's, it's you know, very calming until yeah. pirates arrive. Until that, well, it's the same with which is kind of you know it's like in Civ. Civ is actually quite calming until you discovered pottery. No, um, until you, you until the you know, the the barbarians arrive and like, hang on. Or indeed, the Germans start attacking you. It's like, leave me alone! Um, it's, it's, um, but yes, people have said this, and it's not a, a, a detriment to the game itself, saying, oh, it's very calming and peaceful. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Until you get waylaid by a group of pirates. and Because uh, the animation, when you get sunk, it's sad, but actually pretty cool, though. Where they, you disappear underneath the waves. Yeah, there's uh, no penalty for dying either, so it's not really a bad thing. Well, no, aside from losing quests that you have yeah, active, you do so you have to start all those again. But you know, it's that'll learn you sort of thing. It's, it's all there's a delicate balance between risk and reward, isn't there? It's difficult to uh, to get that right. But um, 
Listen, Michael, so thank you so, so much for coming on the show. It's been really great chatting to you about Windward. Um, can you tell us where can you get the game or what platforms it's on, please? It's PC, Mac, Linux. It's on Steam right now. It's actually going to be available for Android as well later. Okay. Uh, I was going to ask if it was going to be a tablet because it will work really well. Does it? How does it play on those? You need a special kind of tablet. Like I tried everything on the NVIDIA Shield and it runs great. So, you know, 60 frames per second, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. But NVIDIA Shield is a very powerful device. So it is, yeah. majority of Android devices are not going to be able to run Windward because it is uh, a fairly complex game. Mm, yeah, I suspected as much. Uh, any plans for iOS, or you can't really talk about that, maybe? I, I honestly don't know yet, mainly because uh, I'd need to figure out if iOS is powerful enough uh, to actually support it. Yeah. Right now, I'm just trying to survive the release on Steam, and yeah. now that the first week is over, I can actually start looking toward the, the future again. So I'll yeah. know more soon. Yeah, I mean, it could go on consoles as well, in theory, if you think about it. Uh, yes, which just reminds me, I'm supposed to get in touch with the Xbox people at some point. Yeah, because I think it would work, because it does work with the controller as it is. So, um, yeah, I don't see why not. I don't see why not. Well, again, thank you very much for coming on the show. I do yeah, thanks you, for having me. Wish you the very, very best of luck in your future endeavors. Uh, hopefully, yet more sale-based. Well, who knows? Uh, normally most developers I've encountered do something completely different as their next game because they're creative like that and no doubt it would be the same with yourself but uh, yes thank you very much for coming on the show and uh, yeah yeah thanks and so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory do leave us an iTunes review and you can also don't forget listen to us on stitcher.com so just go to stitcher.com and you can stream the show from there you just look up the sausage factory and you can find us that'd be great you can follow me on twitter at chris o'regan no apostrophes and uh, if you want to email me any feedback on the show or actually you're a developer you listen to the show and want your game featured on it please do email me at chris at spong.com bye